from WNYC in New York. It's America. Are we ready? Good evening, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC, and we will be here each Thursday night at this time for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency with a new national call-in every week. Tonight, we'll ask, America, are we ready for unity and racial justice? Can President Joe Biden produce both? Or does history teach us that justice always comes with a backlash that means unity takes a back seat? We'll meet our guests, and I'll give you the phone number after the news. We'll invite calls from some of you who were very moved by Biden's unity speech and from some of you from left or right who are more skeptical about it. America, are we ready for the first hundred days? It's day two. Here we go. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. Yeah, it was a beautiful sentiment in President Joe Biden's inaugural address, right? Promising to fight as hard for those who did not support him as for those who did. But can any president really do both and still deliver what his voters are relying on him for? Good evening, everyone from WNYC in New York. It's America. Are we ready? I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. And as I said before the news, we will be here each Thursday night at this time for the first hundred days of the Biden presidency. We'll ask a different question every week. And tonight, it's America. Are we ready for unity and racial justice? Can President Joe Biden produce both? Here's a little more from the inaugural address, a historic moment, really, in which he becomes the first president to say the words white supremacy in an inauguration speech, but also notice at the end of this clip what he says the solution to it is. A cry for survival comes from planet itself, a cry that can't be any more desperate or any more clear. And now, a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. To overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America, requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. Unity. Sounds good. Unity. Unity. But is unity really what produces racial and other kinds of social progress? at least in the short run. Can Joe Biden produce unity and racial justice together? Or does history teach us that justice always comes with a backlash? That means you have to sacrifice a little unity if you really want to get something done. So Americans, are we ready for unity and racial justice? Can President Joe Biden produce both? We now invite your calls at 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Many of you we know are very moved by and excited about President Biden's call for unity after President Trump, after all, governed by polarization. But some of you might wonder if unity means he'll shrink from the fight for racial justice and other priorities that you voted for him to wage. So what does unity look like to you? What would real action to get to racial 
justice look like to you? 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. Or if you voted for Trump, you're invited too. If you voted for Donald Trump for re-election, how is Biden invoking unity landing with you? What would he have to do to accomplish what he said in that first clip? Fighting is hard for the people who did not support him as for those who did. And what does the term racial justice mean to you? Do you believe Joe Biden can be aggressive about that and achieve unity with you at the same time that he's trying to achieve unity with a lot of black and brown people who've been left behind? Talk about disunity. Whoever you are, whoever you voted for, what does the word unity even mean in your own mind and heart? And so how do you hear the president? Do we have a unified definition of unity? Let's find out. What are you thinking about unity and racial justice here on day two at 844-745-TALK? Or you can tweet at me, Brian Lehrer, and we'll watch for comments and questions there too. Tweet at Brian with an I, Lehrer, L-E-H-R-E-R, or call 844-745-TALK, okay? With me for this are my colleague, WNYC's Kai Wright, host and managing editor of the United States of Anxiety, a podcast about the unfinished business of our history and its grip on our future. Kai will be on during a number of the shows during these first 100 days. And also with us tonight, Mara Gay, a member of the New York Times editorial board and an MSNBC contributor. Good evening, Mara. Good evening, Kai. Happy day two of the new era in the United States. Good evening, Brian. Uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. And before I ask you both the central question, can he produce justice and unity at the same time, can I ask you what you each think Biden means when he invokes the word unity? Because I think it evokes a lot of feelings in people, but not necessarily a clear understanding of what he's talking about. Mari, you want to start? Sure. You know, I think because of what we know about Joe Biden, um, he seems to have a deeply personal and, and even spiritual sense in his mind of what uh, unity and, and even like the beloved community uh, might look like for him. And so um, I don't I don't want to call it Pollyannaish at all. I think it's actually admirable. But um, I, I think it uh, it's really a place that he'd like to get to where he doesn't have to deal with the culture wars. <laughs> Um, but where there's also uh, justice and, and human rights, um, that's a very hard line to walk without actually dealing and grappling with the immense challenges that we face. But I was really heartened to hear him declare war on white supremacy the other day. And I, I thought, um, to me, uh, I heard that and I thought, you know, uh, maybe President Biden really gets it. He gets how to get to unity, which is actually, you get to unity, in my opinion, through justice. Kai, same question. I certainly have to agree you get to unity through justice. Um, I also, though, I wonder, you know, is, is it possible? And I think we really don't know. Um, you know, is it possible that Joe Biden is a man evolving on these questions? And um, what he could mean by unity, let me make the optimistic case for what he might mean by unity in this in this regard. The, the last president to make an affirmative case in the United States for racial justice, to make an affirmative case for a plural society uh, and a multiracial society with shared opportunity and that this is good for all of us was Lyndon Johnson. Uh, that's going back through a whole bunch of Democratic presidents, um, including Barack Obama. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and the question is, 
will Joe Biden be the next president? And we've had very few do it. And will Joe Biden be the next president to make that affirmative case? And does and is that what he sees when he says unity, when he says unity is the solution to our problems? Is he now going to spend his administration using, we, I mean, we now know, if we didn't already, we're certainly reminded of the remarkable power of this bully pulpit. Just the words, set the policy to the side, just the words for shaping our national conversation all the way down to all of our dinner tables. Uh, we know the power of that at this point. Is he about to use it to make a consistent case for why we can have shared opportunity across racial lines in this country and why racial justice for black people, for immigrants, is not taking something away from white people? And that might be where he's going. I mean, in in a couple of signs of that are, you know, in that speech, he did say because he was willing to say, hey, white supremacy has to be dealt with, you know, and I I do take something from some of his policy steps from his first day's policy steps as well in terms of sort of very stark statements about prioritizing racial justice. So. That's the optimistic case is Mm -hmm. that Joe Biden is in the first first uh, uh, words of what is going to be uh, a long sermon of of why we all are going to benefit from racial justice. Mara, you want to keep going on that? I mean, Kai invoked Lyndon Johnson. And one big lesson of history about Lyndon Johnson, I think, is after he signed the big civil rights laws in the mid 60s, the Democrats lost the white South well ever since. Yeah, I mean, I think that, Kai, you're absolutely right. Um, the other time in American history that, that our current moment really evokes for me is, of course, uh, Reconstruction and um, redemption that came after, yeah. uh, which was the end of Reconstruction and, and the beginning of a, a very dark period, especially for Black Americans of racial terror that lasted until World War II. Um, I think for many Black Americans, uh, the Trump era for us uh, was really looking into the abyss of uh, whether we were going to go back to a dark place like that. And um, I think you know, the triumph um, at the ballot box of the Biden coalition is, is really important. But what's more important um, to my mind is that uh, we really seize on this moment um, and, and use that political capital to, to make gains um, for all Americans, but especially for those, as you said, Brian, who've been left behind. Um, and, and I think we really can't, we can't lose that opportunity. So I'm, I'm very cognizant of, um, you know, we have the midterm election coming up in two years <laughs> and the clock has begun in, in my mind. Um, and I think Lyndon Johnson is a perfect example of somebody who really understood how to get legislation passed. Uh, those civil rights act, you know, they live on um, and it would just, uh, my life would be impossible without it. And so I just think, my hope is that Joe Biden, because he's been around for so long in politics, that he can really use that as a strength to 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 really throw throw around some weight and move us forward um, and, and continue on with some of uh, LBJ's work. Let's take and- our first caller. Jonathan in Santa Maria, California. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Jonathan. Hello, Brian. Um, I do think it's possible that President Biden does try to mix unifying the country with also with the racial justice 
then maybe, of course, still like the pushback from maybe Republicans, but I'm not 100%. It could be, but I'm sorry, that, this is my first time calling. Guys. That's okay. You have You have some hope, though, going in. Jonathan, thank you for starting us off. Kai, did you want to follow up on what Mara was saying before or react to Jonathan? Well, it's kind of what, Mar- what Jonathan's saying, too. I mean, you cannot underscore enough the point Mara's making. It, it, we are going one of two directions. This is not a, there is no, oh, go back to how it was. You know, either this is the, the optimistic case I laid out um, for Joe Biden, or uh, we enter our history tells us, or we enter into a very dark play, period. Um, uh, that that is what our history suggests. So, uh, so the, the stakes are quite high on whether or not he, whether or not he does intend to make this case. Yeah, we have to take a break in about thirty seconds, Kai. But a decade ago, you and I talked about how Obamacare was, in a very real sense, an act of racial justice, and yet. He spent all his political capital on it, kind of, and did lose Congress in his first midterm election, right? Well, and quite notably, he also hid it, hid its racial justice element. He didn't talk about it that way. He didn't make that case. He did not push for, he did not make the affirmative case for racial justice around Obamacare. We'll continue in a minute. It's America. Are we ready? We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. The 22-year-old poet Amanda Gorman with maybe the most memorable line from her Biden inauguration poem, right? Spotlighting the difference between what just is and justice. This is America, Are We Ready? I'm Brian Lehrer. We're asking, are we ready for unity and racial justice? Can President Biden produce both? Call in and tell us what you think or ask a question of our guests, Kai Wright, host of the United States of Anxiety podcast, and Mara Gay, New York Times editorial board member, 844-745-TALK. If you want in on this conversation, 844-745-8255. And Monty in Atlanta wants in. Hi, Monty. You're on America. Are we ready? Hey there. Hey, how are you? Um, I will. Uh, I just called in to say a couple things, and I guess point the conversation in a certain direction. I know Joe Biden's heart is in the right place, but my mind, my family's mind, um, everybody who has come before me and after me knows that it is going to be an uphill climb if he does do it. it. It's steep. But I guess a good starting point would be the, we talked about LBJ a lot, would be the findings of the Kerner Commission. America has still yet to follow through on every single one of those findings of that report back in 1968. So I would say start there. You want to name one or up. two? Um, the police brutality, I mean, that's, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, that's literally are. what fueled. Yeah, here we still are uh, over 50 years later. So has America learned its lesson? No. So what I'm saying is we're going to have to be truly honest with ourselves because we cannot have unity if there is no justice. If the justice is 
the justice is there, then the unity can come. We can't do it the other way around. What do you hear Biden is saying when he uses the word unity? And do you feel like he's talking to you? Or do you feel like he's just talking to the Republicans? I think he's talking to the Republicans. Uh, unity, to, unity to me is a word that I would say is let's, let's make all the people who, uh, for example, rush into the Capitol, let's, let's calm down, let's calm them down so that way they're placated like, you know, a baby without a pacifier. Let's calm them down, but, you know, we'll keep on going. And if, you know, somebody like me is saying, hey, there's a problem, hey, there's a problem, hey, there's a problem, it's like, no, 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 we'll worry about it later. That's what I hear unity is. But again, that is based off of 400 years of history. I hope that Joe Biden, like you said, is, is evolving as we go. And I see some signs there, but... I'm going to be skeptical until those signs come, until I see, I guess, those results. Thank you for helping direct the conversation. We really appreciate it. Let's go next to Jess in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Hi, Jess. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi. Hey there. Good evening. Hi. <laughs> Where would you like to start? Um... I guess I just so I think that Joe Biden has a lot of opportunity to do a lot when it comes to um, racial justice. And I don't I, I, I don't really like the word unity um, when it comes to this, but I think it really has to start with taking a good long look at the for-profit prison system and what it's really doing to our nation, because people have seen uh, manufacturing jobs leave and where have they gone? They've not gone to, you know, immigrants and various other brown people across the country. They have gone into prisons where people are being forced to work for, you know, pennies a day to to create everything from the furniture that we sit on to the uniforms that minimum wage workers are being, you know, made to put on their backs and mm -hmm. are applying for social welfare programs while the CEOs of these corporations are just, you know, blasting through the roof of the amounts of money anybody even thought that anybody could make. And it's all going into the pockets of, you know, lobbyists and people that have, you know, been there since been here since Reagan talking about this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to get those people out of your hair and, you know, money in your pocket. And, and where has it gone? It's all gone to the upper echelons of society because I know I don't see anything in, yeah. in you know, my area here in little small mill town, Rhode Island. Just do you have a sense, and I don't expect you to be an expert on this, but when you raise private prisons as you know, at or near the top of your priority list. Do, do you have a sense that that's disunifying, that Biden dare not go near that issue or he's going to blow away the Republicans for other priorities? Does it does it strike you as a sort of either or in that respect? So it doesn't strike me as an either or. It It is 100 percent they are going to say, oh, no, how can we ever let all of them out of prison? Because it's what they've been doing since the very beginning when they when, you know, when crack came on the scenes in the 80s. And then we started seeing people were dying from the AIDS epidemic at that point, And it was all about 
them and us. It couldn't be us because we're such good, hardworking people over here with our conservative ideas about who we should help. Let's get these people off the streets. Let's let these people die. You know, I mean, and, and, and people forget that, that when it came to the AIDS epidemic, it wasn't even called AIDS from the beginning. It was called GRID. It was the gay-related immunodeficiency disease, and it didn't matter because they were dying, yeah. not us. And we have just poured so much poison into the well. We are not even talking about truth and facts. We are wading through a sea of cognitive dissonance where people are willing to watch other people starve and die so they don't have to face where they've been wrong and where they've been hurting people. And it's just nonsense. Thank you very, very much for weighing in. And Marge, the last two callers have both brought up the criminal justice system. And obviously that was front and center in 2020 after George Floyd was killed. And I, I wonder how much unity you think there might be around more criminal justice reform at the federal level. There was a little bit. That's one of the few things that both houses of Congress passed and President Trump signed, that, that little bit of it that there was. Um, what do you think as a matter of perhaps a road to unity, like we all think what happened was terrible and that these things need to change or enough white people as well as people of color and that this is a path to unity? Or is this necessarily going to be divisive? You know, first of all, those those callers brought up some really powerful points. Yes. Um, and I just have to say, I, even though I certainly support lots of criminal justice reforms and and we've pushed for them hard on here in New York on the editorial board. Um, I actually, I think it's a mistake to view criminal justice as a discrete issue. Um, My, my sense is that the way forward, um, not just toward unity, but more importantly for justice and democracy, a functioning democracy that works for everybody is actually to address um, the larger issue, which is, strengthening the middle class and then the other issue that that is extremely related to that in my opinion my view which is uh, fighting white supremacy and helping uh, black americans and others who have been left behind um, and exploited for generations uh, make up ground and i think if we're able to actually do those things that were laid out in the Kerner commission because we have to remember, it's not that we don't know how to do these things. It's just that we have chosen not to. We've chosen to be shocked again and again when the old sins of the nation come up and rear their ugly head um, at different points in different ways, most recently as Donald Trump. And so we do know what needs to be done. Um, we just haven't done it. And so I think for those who are yearning for a pre-Trump era in which they didn't have to talk about these issues, uh, that's not going to happen. So I think we should dispense with that and we should start talking about how we get everyone a fair seat and a fair shot at the table in this democracy and start talking about how to make capitalism work for more Americans and make sure that we address income inequality, which, by the way, is, is a huge factor in whether democracy is successful or not. Um, and racial justice uh, is, is, is so crucial to that. 
you can't do one without the other in America. Um, and I think if we do that, um, we will inevitably be addressing criminal justice issues. Criminal justice system doesn't doesn't flows, exist in a vacuum. Flows downstream mm -hmm. from inequality. So let's take another example then. We heard those criminal justice examples from those last two callers. Let's take, moving into the economic realm, student loan debt as an example. Here is one of the most progressive members of Congress, Ayanna Pressley of Massachusetts, speaking last month, knowing Biden would be coming into office. Student loan cancellation is a matter of racial and economic justice. Across our country, black student borrowers are forced to borrow more than their white peers and are five times more likely to default on a student loan. Uh, certainly, that's a result of generations of systemic racism and entrenched inequities that have denied black Americans the opportunity to build wealth. So in this moment of reckoning, student debt cancellation must be an essential part of a truly equitable economic recovery. Democratic Congresswoman Ayanna Presley on December 9th. And as I heard from a caller to my local show yesterday morning, student loan debt financially hobbles black women even more than men when you look at the numbers. And as I understand the Biden policy so far, he has already extended through executive action the moratorium on student loan repayments through September of this year, or it might just be interest repayments. I'm not actually sure. Uh, that's because of COVID. But he hasn't canceled any. So, Kai, assuming you agree with the racial justice framing of the issue from the congresswoman, why do you think the president is not going as far as she wants him to on what is becoming a signature issue for the progressive wing of the party? Well, I'd say two things. One, you know, on the narrow issue of student loan and debt in general, I think there is probably, you know, this is wild conjecture, but, you know, uh, in terms of Joe Biden's politics and his relationship to the banking industry, uh, we may not see the kind of reforms in anything around debt that people want to see. Um, but the broader question of sort of targeted economic reform uh, towards racial equity what what is actually what's ironic here, and, and you can use student loans as student loan as, as as an example, is I actually think there is already significant unity on a lot of stuff. Um, is the funny thing? Like I think there is significant unity, particularly on economic policy. Uh, the issue that we have is that because of racial injustice, and this is where I think you know if we make a an affirmative case for racial justice in this country. It, 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 because of racial injustice, we have a political system that in which there is minority rule um, in, in, on a whole lot of levels. And so when you look at the you know, a minimum wage, uh, student loan forgiveness, uh, mortgage forgiveness, a whole host of economic policies, you know, health care reform, there is actually widespread agreement on these issues. Uh, it's difficult to make to, to cross a policy yeah. barrier because there is a, a significant imbalance in representation. And it that is be, a consequence of racism. That's a consequence and, of racial injustice. And that might be another whole show. But yeah, the Senate, for people who haven't thought about it, like when they say abolish the Electoral College, and some people want that, it's really because of the Senate. It's proportional, more or less, were it not for the two extra votes that each state gets for its two senators. And then when you look at the Senate itself, um, the fact that New York and California and Texas and Florida get the same two senators that 
tiny, tiny states like the last callers, Rhode Island, uh, gets, and where those senators tend to be from, that is, so many of the small, rural-oriented states are Republican. Republicans wind up way overrepresented in the Senate compared to their population in the country, and that skews so, so much policy. But like I say, that might be for its own show on another week. Let's go next to Linda in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Hi, Linda. You're on America. Are we ready? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Hello? What would you like to say? Well, what I was going to say was that unity really comes from um, individuals coming together. Yes, you have uh, you can come together as a group, and yes, you can have all the policies which Biden is working for, which is good. I, I you know, I applaud him for trying, but it, he can only do so much, and that's why. He's asking people to help by having individuals come together, and you know, as it is, because as it is, we've got groups that are wanting to rise up, like in Texas, like we heard yesterday, or was it today? I don't remember. But you know, that are wanting to rise up, and they're calling that evil man, meaning Biden. And I voted for Biden, and I'm a person of color. And, uh, you know, that's the only way, really. Individuals. To, you want to change yeah. people's hearts rather than yes, go through policy. Right. When, and policy's good, you know, but people, you know, people's hearts have to change, and they have to want to change on their own if they don't want to, well, you know. But now the other thing, too, is, you know, I, I know it, it can infringe on uh, free speech, but maybe perhaps in the policy, maybe, um, you know, uh, some, something, some, you know, crime against hate speech and, and, mm -hmm. and hate right. crimes. You know? So you've put two big things on the table. And let me take that individual uh, change at the individual level seriously. And Mara, I'll throw this to you first. I mean, in a way, Biden is trying to model it, right? In addition to whatever policies we talk about, he is trying to be the guy who does have empathy, who cries, who says, I've heard him say twice since he got inaugurated, um, I'm going to make mistakes, you know? And obviously, Trump was on Mr. Perfect all the time. Do you, do you think personal modeling is part of the path there that winds up in policy and racial justice? I absolutely think that. Um, if you look back at, again, Lyndon Johnson, Abraham Lincoln, Grant, other presidents, um, character does matter. But I think that this caller is also bringing up um, something bigger that I've been thinking about, which is you know, if we think about the some of the lessons from the Obama presidency, one of them is that it's really not enough to rely just on electing the president of your choice to put into effect the policies that you care about, that you believe will help the country, which is to say it takes uh, energy um, in statehouse races across the country. I think Democrats have learned that lesson over the past four years. And it takes lost, winning like, judicial appointments. Yeah. We have right? to take a break. We'll pick it up 
when we continue. This is America. Are we ready? Let's begin to listen to one another again. Hear one another. See one another. Show respect to one another. Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire, destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. And we must reject the culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. President Joe Biden from his inaugural address, and in a way that's how low the bar has become for at least beginning to move toward unity, right? To reject the manufacturing of facts. So don't make us mix stuff up out of whole cloth. We don't even have unity on that. It'll be a few more steps to unity on contentious policies, I guess. This is America, Are We Ready? I'm Brian Lehrer. We are asking, are we ready for unity and racial justice? Can President Biden produce both? Call in and tell us what you think or ask a question of our guests. Kai Wright, host of the United States of Anxiety podcast, and Mara Gay, New York Times editorial board member at 844-745-TALK. 844-745-8255. And Steve on Long Island, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Steve. Hi. Uh, how are you? Kai and Brian and Mara. Everybody is good, I hope. First thing, healthy. I'm a nurse, and, and I think uh, that Biden has great intentions. I mean, I was raised Catholic. Uh, his, you know, referencing St. Augustine, I mean, obviously, he's a very spiritual uh, man, in my opinion. But uh, what what is he up against? You know, we have McConnell, who has wielded incredible power over the last six years, you know, and he wants that gavel back. So how cooperative is he really going to be? Because if it, you know, if, if, if President Biden is very successful, you know, it may be a lot harder for him to take back the Senate, you know, uh, in just a very short period of time, it's coming up, it seems to me. And, uh, and the co-conspirators, if I may call them that, uh, I don't see them cooperating in any way. Uh, So many of them, you know, still holding out to actually, you know, the ex-president wouldn't say his name, as we know, and, and they're not facing the facts. Like, yeah, if we, if we, it's the big lie, the Hitler huge lie, you know, so many things that have happened over the last four years are right out of the playbook that happened in the 30s. Steve, thank you very much. And, of course, when he says co-conspirators, he's talking about people who voted to overturn the election or not accept the electors even after the riots, the insurrection later that night. Um, but, Kai, let's talk about McConnell. Yeah. I mean, when Obama came into office, McConnell made it clear behind the scenes, and then it became public, that he was going to try to obstruct everything that Obama would try to make, uh, get passed, to make Obama a one-term president. And so when Obama leaned to the center on some things, like Obamacare, you know, instead of going for Medicare for all, he took the private sector model that was Romney Care in Massachusetts when he was the governor there, and some other things that McConnell might have gone for if it was a Republican president, but because it was Obama, he was just trying to make him fail, and he didn't uh, go for them. 
is there any reason, just as a matter of political analysis, after four years of Donald Trump and McConnell ultimately rejecting him at the end, um, to think that it's going to be any different this time with Biden? Oh, there's no reason to think that Mitch McConnell's going to do anything different. Of course not. It's worked quite well for him. Um, but, 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 you know, th- the question is, in these 24 hours, what have we seen from Joe Biden in terms of what lessons he has or has not learned from his time in that Obama administration? And the, the, the signs where there is something different, something notably different happening, and, you know, time will tell, are if you look at the two three major pieces of congressional business that he's engaged on. Uh, He has taken a very different tack than the Obama administration. And then Democrats have always taken in this question of how they deal with Republicans. So in typically Democrats will negotiate away part of the uh, of the of the process before they even get to the table. They will start, you know, in their in their cry for unity, they'll start in the center and then move to the right. Uh, What Joe Biden has done on his stimulus COVID bill. That is a one point nine. Is it seven or nine trillion dollar bill? It is more than twice the size of of Obama's stimulus bill. And uh, and and they have talked about it having been so on purpose. It's a ridiculously sized number on purpose. The immigration bill, which, you know, everybody agrees is probably dead on arrival. But nonetheless, it is a break from the past of what Democrats put on the table for an immigration bill. Uh, It is one of the most aggressive immigration bills we've seen um, in terms of paths to citizenship and without ramping up enforcement in the way that they normally do in those deals. And then he's not at least publicly stood in the way of impeachment. So in all three of those things in these 24 hours, we've seen a President Biden who at least seems to have said, well, you know what, I'm going to talk unity, but when I arrive at Capitol Hill, I'm going to start off far. I'm going to start off a mm-hmm. little different with a stronger hand than I did, yeah, than, near than the, did before. Near the polls, because yeah. that's how negotiation sometimes works better than starting by being conciliatory uh, because you've weakened your hand. Ken in Jackson, Georgia, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Ken. Hi, how you doing? Doing all right. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you us. hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So my my question is, um, and this uh, uh, preface, this is an issue for all races, black, white, Hispanic, Chinese, and so on. Um, we were all in our mother's womb for about nine months, developing our our hearts, our brains, our spinal cords, our hands, our little fingers. And my question is, will, will Joe Biden be a president for any babies in their mother's womb? For any any month of pregnancy, is there any common ground on abortion that you could find? If we're talking about unity, uh, is there is there a a middle ground? Where, where are you on this? Would you want to see all abortions banned? Period, or is there some place where? Liberals and conservatives on this can meet and find a unified position. This is this is one of the most binary things in our politics, I think. But but where where are you on that? You're asking me. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I I think that there should be very few exceptions. There there is a, a some life threatening complications that that I've uh, read about from doctors where the. The, the the baby is developing in the wrong place and it can uh, it's not 
not where it should should be, and and it can uh, and it has to be surgically removed so because it's, it's gonna yeah. it's in the wrong place, um, and it's life threatening. But that's so let me so almost nothing other than that. Let me follow up. Is there anywhere else where you think Biden, presuming presuming he is pro-choice, and you two are just not going to see eye to eye, where where he can give something that would develop some unity on some religion-oriented or, or uh, cultural issue where, where you see some well, you know, opportunity? Well, you know, I can say this. I, I'm in favor of, of ending all student loan interest forever. I'm in favor of bankrupting police departments that murder people by strangulation or anything uh, else off their foundations. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm in favor of uh, increasing the uh, Medicare um, eligibility resource limit that's been stuck at two thousand dollars for decades to five or ten thousand dollars there's a lot of things that i'd like to have done but i i voted mainly uh to um on my position on abortion because i don't uh, you know there's a lot of numbness to all the people that have died of COVID 19 and same thing is true of all the little babies that have been aborted there's a lot of numbness about the millions of babies that have been aborted ken thank you for your call mara that's uh it, it, it's, you know, no matter where anybody is on the abortion rights issue, it's a mix of positions that we don't usually hear coming from this caller. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm firmly uh, in favor of a woman's right to choose. Um, I also happen to be Christian. Um, and it's been super interesting and for me maddening <laughs> sometimes um, to kind of hear um hear folks who are also uh, Christian uh, kind of u- see abortion as a single issue. I, in some ways I respect where they're coming from, but I can only say, uh, I don't talk a lot about my spiritual views, but I can only say that for me, um, I have to look at the entire picture, which is um, what does our religion teach us to love one another. And so um, I have a really hard time reconciling um, those beliefs with, for example, what I've seen from uh, the Trump administration for the past four years. Uh, for me, that's it's not a difficult choice. Um, but I think that your impulse, Brian, is is right, which is where can we find common ground? And I think uh, if you look at immigration issues, if you uh, your caller mentioned student loans, I think there's a lot of common ground to to work on um, from people who are coming from that perspective. So. The, the most productive thing would be to, to really start there and, and allow this, this larger debate um, within especially white evangelical circles, right? Because black Americans are very, are actually the most likely to be church going in the United States, but they vote um, mm-hmm. pro-choice. So, so let that debate play out in the churches and focus on common ground and, and on respecting one another where we can. Let me take can a turn. Go ahead, Kai. Briefly Just quickly on this, to though, add, okay? because I think it's important when we talk about unity, this is a perfect example. Three quarters of Americans say they support the Roe v. Wade. You know, and so when we talk about there is actually a great deal of unity on that already. Mm. Um, but we center the the voices of a minority of Americans on so many issues and then say, why aren't we unified? And And I think this is an example of it. The new press secretary, Jen Psaki, has already been asked several times in her first two news conferences, where is the fig leaf to Republicans in the policies Biden has announced so far? 
He says unity, goes this question, but everything so far is about undoing Trump. Um, Mara, let me get you on this first. Do you see it that way? And how could Jen Psaki answer that question best, in your opinion? Because she hasn't had much to say on it so far. You know, I just, I want to say that um, I, I really think, of course, every single human being on this planet and every American should be respected. Human rights, absolutely. But elections have consequences. Um, the Democrats have been in control now for, what, 24 hours, 24 plus hours. Um, and I think that the country has, as Kai alluded to, it's actually been um, increasingly governed by the minority because of the Electoral College. Um, and so really the cards have been stacked against democratic policies for decades at this point. And what we're, you know, what Joe Biden is talking about is hardly radical. Um, and so the voters have spoken and that's what happens in elections. Um, and of course you try and build coalitions and bring as many people on with you as you can. But, um, I, I hope that Joe Biden, um, you know, uses that, uses the, the power that the American people have given him, um, mm -hmm. and doesn't shy just for the case of the sake of unity in, in those, those thinnest of terms. Kai, anything on this? You know that same phrase that Mara just used, elections have consequences, when Obama said it near the beginning of his term. <laughs> I mean, Fox News has played that clip over and over again ever since to say, see, they say they want to build coalitions, but then when it comes down to it, they're in your face and say, oh, no, nya, nya, elections have consequences. The reality is that there are just people in our political system who do not mean well, who are not good faith players in this process, both in the media who have profited that, you know, in right wing media who have profited greatly uh, from this kind of rhetoric and in the Republican Party. And that is what the Trump era has revealed. Uh, and so we have to be honest about that as we seek to find you because I totally unity is a good goal, um, unity with justice. And I think if we were able to acknowledge that there are some players, a minority of players who do not mean well, who do not support democracy, who have shown that they do not support democracy. And we say, OK, let's set that to the side. That's not who we're going to negotiate amongst the majority of us who do support democracy. Uh, how, how, how do we then unify? I think we would be happy having a very different conversation. Robbie in Phoenix, you're on America, Are We Ready? Hi, Robbie. Hi, how's it going? It's going all right. What you got for us? Um, I was wondering what your thoughts were about um, Biden holding Trump and Trump associates accountable um, once, you know, kind of while he's in office. Because I think that if you look at the precedent of people coming into a new administration, if you look at, if you look at Ford pardoning Nixon, if you look at Obama coming in and then not holding people accountable for, you know, torture in Iraq, uh, I think that there's an opportunity here to say, hey, we're going to stop this and we're going to try to figure out what's happened. Because I think that there are obvious um, cases of fraud and all sorts of different things that are, you know, not even just considering the capital raids that are a problem with the Trump presidency. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what your thoughts were about how well, far he should go as far as accountability or well, if he's just going to ignore that so he stops hearing about Trump. Thank you. And uh, Kai, in about our last 40 seconds or so here, um, yeah, we haven't even talked about impeachment <laughs> and unity and disunity and justice. Um, does it? Do you agree with Robbie, or does it risk 
sending everybody back to their partisan corners, and not only that, but giving Trump center stage again for another round. Twenty seconds. I, I mean, I can't can't play play political strategist on this myself, but you know, it is hard to imagine a world in which you don't have accountability for these things. Uh, now, what is accountability is another question, um, but there's got to be accountability if we're going to move forward. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of America, Are We Ready? We will be here every Thursday night at this time for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency, taking calls from different parts of the country as we did tonight. Today is day number two. We'll be back on day number nine and day number 16 and do the math and on out until day 100. I thank my WNYC colleague, Kai Wright. Kai will be on with me during a number of these shows during these first 100 days. You can also hear him on his podcast, The United States of Anxiety, about the unfinished business of our history and its grip on our future. And we thank Mara Gay, a member of the New York Times editorial board. You can also see her on TV as an MSNBC contributor. Thank you both. Thank you so much, Kai. Thank you, Mara. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm Brian Lehrer from WNYC. You can sign up for my national politics podcast called Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, or listen to my daily 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time show at WNYC.org, or just tune in again here next week. Thanks for listening to America Are We Ready? And we'll give the last word tonight to poet Amanda Gorman, from her inauguration recitation, 36 more seconds of her take on diversity and the divide. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all.